Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. When we think about the deaf-mute man that Jesus heals in our gospel lesson today, we have to think about how he was isolated from the world around him. He could not hear. Most of us take that ability to hear for granted. But this man was deaf from birth. He never knew what others were saying. He could never be engaged in a conversation. He likely learned to pick up on body language and facial expressions, but he was never exposed to language or the formulation of words and sounds that we call speech. And that way he was cut off. He had never heard a spoken word in his entire life. And his speech impediment was most likely the result of his lifelong deafness. You have to learn to learn to speak. You have to hear to learn to speak. And so we have a man who was isolated from the world around him. He couldn't share information. He couldn't receive information. All he could do was sit quietly and keep to himself. And when we think about this, that is what sin ultimately does. It isolates us, maybe not so much from the world, but sin often drives us deeper and deeper into the world. But sin isolates us from the things that we need most, the gifts of Christ. It makes man hostile to the word of God. It drives us away from the things of God and drives us deeper into the contemptuous lives that rejoice in every sort of evil. It disrupts everything good for us, and so we fail to see God as God, and we fail to see God as good. And it drives us to live lives of thanklessness, as we are blind and deaf to God's goodness and love for us. Think, for instance, about what sin does within a family. The scriptures teach us that families are to love one another. First Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Yet all our love is now tainted by sin and it causes all sorts of horrible things to happen. Spouses, they separate. Children leave their homes never to return. Sin causes to destroy some of the most natural friendships so that those who would be most disposed toward loving each other learn to despise one another. Think of siblings having a falling out. Think of parents no longer wanting to communicate with their wayward children. Think of all the ways a harmonious family life has been shaken up over just some sort of little sin or offense. The result of this has been one or many of the family members choosing to no longer speak to the other. It drives a person away from those whom they are called to love the most. These conflicts last often for decades and drive people towards divorce. They destroy what was once a peaceful family. And what is so sad about these sorts of things is that the divine service, Bible study, prayer, and devotions tend to fall out of use when families fall apart and we isolate ourselves from those whom we are called to love. And we think of the other ways that sin isolates people from the gifts of Jesus. Perhaps it's not a conflict that causes it all. It could be anything else. 
Maybe it's anger and resentment over a mistake or misstep that someone at the church committed that drives a person to leave and never come back. It could be something that happened maybe decades ago. Maybe a thoughtless word from the pastor or a church member. And yet, even though it was so long ago, the bitterness and anger remain, so that person thinks of returning to church with disdain. It could be that church was never a priority. It's simply never a priority for many. It was that boring thing the family did when nothing else was happening on Sunday. And the spirit of the age dictates that we only do things that are fun, entertaining, or pleasurable. And one didn't find church to be all that fun, so he just doesn't go. And that creates more isolation. And there are more painful and tragic circumstances. We think of sudden illness, or death, or disability. And that often drives people away from the means of grace and the communion of the church. The consolation and love and, and support of the brethren within the congregation. Those things that are beyond our control often take over our lives and prevent us from taking part in the worship of God. They, they drive us away from the gifts that Jesus bestows on his Christians. And such isolation is the most painful when you want to be with the rest of the body. And it's not your own stubbornness or your own anger, or your own frustration that drives you away from the church of Jesus. But you just can't get there. When a person is willing and almost desperate to join in the life of the church, but unable because circumstances outside of their control, that is painful and heartbreaking. And that is because sin has warped the creation. Sin isn't what just prevents us from coming to church. It's, it's the source of everything that we might call bad. Everything from sickness to hunger, war and famine, death and sorrow. All the evil in this world is because this world is filled with sin. Why does it not always rain at the right time? Why do our bodies fall apart in the most painful and inconvenient ways? Why can't we simply love people without conflict? Why don't our leaders just do the job we elected them to do? Why is everything so difficult in life? And the answer is that sin has infected every aspect of this creation. It has warped and perverted all things so that the entire creation groans under the burden of sin. St. Paul says in Romans, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we see this happen with the people of Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah. They had been isolating themselves. Sin from the world around them, difficult circumstance, temptation to idolatry, had caused the people of Judah to grow cold in their faith. And their coldness to God had caused them to treat the, to treat the worship of God with contempt. In Isaiah, before our Old Testament reading, God says this. He says, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and the fear of me is a commandment taught by men. You see what God's saying there? They come, they say the words, they do the acts, but they're isolated 
in their hearts. Their faith is not in the God who saves them. Their faith is in the approval of the people around them. And so they go through the motions. They say the words. They attend to the rituals. They treat it all as if it were something devised by men. It wasn't the worship of God given by God himself to bless them. It was just merely empty ritual that they had to do. They chose to trust in their own wisdom and their own strength to bless them as they devised all sorts of means to make sure that Israel was ensured, that it was blessed, that it was helped and had every way out from attack. They chose to trust in themselves, and God's answer to this deficiency of the heart was not, might, might not be what you would expect. He did not cast Judah into a sudden plague and pestilence. He did not send immediately foreign invaders to conquer them. Rather, in our lesson, right before our Old Testament lesson, it says, Therefore, behold, because of this, because their hearts are cold to me, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. What is God saying other than, their hearts are cold? So I will go to them. I will do my wonders. I will show them my love. He goes on to say, and this is our Old Testament lesson, it says, It is not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. In that day the death shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Do you see what's going on here? The blessing. The hearts of men of Judah had grown cold, and what was God's answer? It was to visit his people and bless them. He would cause the creation to flow forth with good produce. The deaf and blind would see and hear. The meek would be caused to have fresh joy. The poor would exult in the Holy One of Israel. The hardened sinner would be brought to nothing. This passage is all about Jesus. It's all about the holy visitation that God makes to his people. And in this visitation, the blind man sees, the deaf man hears, the poor are given joy, and sin is destroyed. Jesus actually says these words in a different way in Matthew 5. He gives his beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is what many theologians and church fathers have called the great reversal. While sin would make everything in creation painful, destructive, and isolating, Jesus does all things well. And the effects of sin, 
that so terribly plagued the creation are unraveled and undone at the coming of Christ our Lord. We see this fulfillment as Jesus heals the deaf mute, the man who was isolated, not just because of his deaf ears or his bound tongue. He was isolated from God because he was born in sin, just like the rest of us. Sin would make us adversaries of God, but that is exactly what Jesus has come to reverse. This man is brought to Jesus by his friends. And by the way, this is the greatest love that a person can show another person. His friends had compassion on him and did the best thing they could ever do. They brought him to Jesus. This is the love that we are called as Christians to show one another. The greatest gift that we can offer another person is to bring them to Jesus. That's why we invite our friends and our family members, our co-workers, and everybody we know to church. It's not for our sake. We already have every need satisfied in the hearing of the gospel. But it's for their sake that we bring them to hear the words of Christ. Because our hope is the same as God's hope. He says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so this man, he's brought to Jesus. And Jesus sees the man's infirmity. He knows the man's isolation. And now Jesus simply could have spoken, and the man would have been healed. He could have maybe laid his hands on him, and the man would have been healed. But Jesus does not do it this way. Because he sees the deaf mute, and he has compassion on him. And before he heals the infirmity of his body, Jesus is going to take care of this man's spirit. And since this man cannot hear Jesus speak, the Lord will communicate in another way. And so, in a way, he uses sign language. He takes the man aside privately, where there are no distractions. And here Jesus preaches a sermon that this man can hear. He begins by acknowledging all of his troubles. He stands before him and sticks his fingers in the man's ears. And as if Jesus were saying, your ears are stopped up, but I will open them. And then he spits and touches the man's tongue. It's as if he is saying, your tongue is bound so that you can't speak, I will loosen it. And then Jesus does something that addresses the greater problem. He looks up to heaven and he sighs. This communicates the root of the problem. It's as if he were saying, you are deaf-mute, but you have a greater issue. You have sin that afflicts your heart and your life. You were born in that sin. You inherited it from your father, Adam. And that sin has driven you from my father's heavenly kingdom. But don't fear. I will bear that burden. I have come to take away the sins of the world. I will bear your sin. I will suffer my father's displeasure, and his justice will be poured out upon me. And I will do this so that you may know my father's love for you and be joined with him in his heavenly kingdom. When Jesus looks at this man and he sighs, he sighs the sigh of the one who is a sin bearer. He sighs the sigh of one who takes another man's burden. And this is what he does for the deaf mute. And it's only after Jesus says all of this that he finally speaks a word, epitha, be opened. Here Jesus commands us two things. First, the ears and the tongue of this man were set free from their infirmity. He can hear and speak. 
The tongue that was bound can now plainly shout praises to God. The ears that were stopped up now can hear Jesus speak his word plainly. He opens this man's life to the life lived in God's love and favor. Not just because he opened his ears and loosed his tongue, but because he has come to take away the sins of the world. He's come to take away this man's sins, and he's come to take away our sin. Sin is what would stop our ears, blind our eyes, and silence our voices concerning all the things of God and his goodness. How does God open our eyes, our ears, and our voices to his word? He sends his son to us. The same way that he said, I would visit my people Israel and do my wonders before him, he comes to us. He comes to us as a Savior and Lord to forgive our sins. And that's what the scriptures teach. We would be lost in our sinful condition if God had not first sent his son to die for us. It begins with Jesus. As the scriptures say, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God comes down to earth so that man might know the goodness of God. And the hearts that had been cold to God, his love, his word, his work, are remade because of his holy visitation. We're no longer spiritually isolated from the God who loves us. Sin can only divide us from God if we remain outside of Christ. But in Christ, nothing prevents us from joyfully approaching the throne of grace. There, before that throne, every sin is set aside. It's removed from us. We are made free from them so that they no longer have a hold on us. Sin's grasp upon our hearts has been loosened. It is no longer a cruel master, but we are freed from it. Just as Jesus says, he says, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This means that nothing other than that sin no longer has dominion over the ones who believe in Jesus. Jesus has freed us from sin, and we now live in a better kingdom with a better king. We live as those who are free to set our masters, old masters, will aside so that we might delight in the new master. We no longer are divided from God by our old allegiances to sin and death. We are united with God through the forgiveness and life and salvation that he promises us. And it's because God has come to take us and has taken away our sins. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He rose that we may have new life in him. And just like the deaf mute, he indeed gives us signs to assure us of his work of love. He wants us to know that his forgiveness and life are for us. And so just the same as the deaf man who needed to hear by seeing it in a way that he, could not that he could understand, we too have the word given to us by sight. And the sacraments, we as God's Christians in his church, have a visual word of God that teaches us exactly what God has done for us. Think about baptism. 
We're washed in the name of the triune God. So here we have the promise that our sins are washed away from us. Christ's death and resurrection are applied to us as individuals. And the promise of the Holy Spirit who grants saving faith is given to us. This is done before our eyes. In the Lord's Supper, we are given the body and blood of Jesus in and with the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins. Here we're promised that the death of Jesus upon the cross is opened up to us who grieve over our sins. We have in this meal the assurance of God and his re re reconciliation for us poor sinners as he gives us a foretaste of the feast of the Lamb in his kingdom. We know when we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper that the kingdom of heaven is open for us because our sins are forgiven. We are given heavenly food and heavenly drink and receive heavenly blessings. The inheritance that we have in heaven that has been guarded for us is open to us through a meal. God gives us signs that assure us that we are loved by him. And so we can certainly say that God is gracious and has opened his kingdom to us. We can say this for no other reason than that he has visited us. He has come down to us in our need. He has revealed himself to us in Jesus he sees our weakness, our sin, our frailty, our infirmity, and has mercy on us. He opens our ears to receive his word so that we may believe in the gospel. It says in Ephesians, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We are not isolated from our God. We live in communion with him as he lives over us in mercy and grace. There is no longer anything that separates the Christian from his God. We are his. We've been joined to him through the work of Christ. Our sins that would make us God's enemies, they're taken away. Our hearts that would be cold toward God and his love have been opened to receive the word that saves us. And it's all because Jesus has come down from heaven and was made man so that he could die for the sins of the world and was risen to bring life to poor sinners like you and me. So in Christ, we live in certainty, hope, comfort, and joy. In Christ... We live in the benefits of the great reversal that undoes the painful and awful effects of sin as we live in the joy of the God who has saved us. In life and death and all things, we are blessed by Christ. In Christ, we can be certain that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know this because he visits us. He opens our ears, he looses our tongues so that we can hear the word and rejoice in his coming. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the work of Christ, who has come to unstop our ears and open our hearts to the gospel of forgiveness. And we ask that you continually bless us with your words so that we live lives of true repentance and sincere faith, 
so that we enter into the life to come in heaven. Cause us to join in the witnesses of the miracle of healing the deaf mute, saying, Behold, he indeed does all things well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith of life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise. <laughs>